Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Shop Still podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number seven. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. I'm joined by Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks. Hey, John. And John Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. Oh. We live stream the recording on YouTube every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time or UTC plus 10. Or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes, or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get your comments towards the end of the show, but feel free to chat amongst yourselves. The idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. Before we get into this week's episode topic, let's do a rundown of what we're working on. So, Joey, let's start with you. Uh, right. I haven't written anything down. Uh, what have I been doing? <clears throat> I had to make some roof racks for my van, um, and they worked out pretty cool, I think. Out of um, timber? I was going to do that, and then when I went to the hardware store, I found like a length of steel uh, square tube, and it was exactly the right length to cut it in half, then I'd have two roof racks, and I machined up a couple of aluminium spacers, um, I've got a steel lathe, so I machined up some couple of custom parts, and like it took me about two hours, and it was done, so that was awesome. And I saw the, that, um, the actual sorry? connection car how does how does that work like uh, yeah so i'm lucky in that the van i've got has got uh, about five um bolt bolts in the roof for that oh, okay. and at so the moment they've just got yeah they've just got a uh, little space uh place holder bolts in there with rubber washers in and so just take out the ones i want and i can just put a six mil um threaded rod right into the roof of the van so uh really easy and tidy I've got a tiny um, little washing machine for a car and um, I've yeah. thought about doing roof racks, but then you've got to buy this like proprietary mounting kit, mounting kit mm. and it's extortionately expensive, which is why I've never, I've never just never got onto it. Yeah. Just throw a bolt right through the roof of the car. You've <laughs> got a whole saw, you'll be right. Um, and I've been batching out, started to batch out um, my dining table, dining chairs. For my house um so that's been going pretty good i've spent um the better part of this week just making jigs i must have i think i must be near, nigh on to 14 jigs for uh these chairs but um now that i've got those jigs i can i can like I, i've made six chairs uh, today so yeah the most amount of time goes into this those jigs yeah. for a chair yeah. With the chairs, do you not? Can you notice subtle differences between each one of them, or are yeah. they all pretty? No. Now, does, I mean they are definitely different. Uh, no, I'm going to um, kind of ease it out any little differences. There's a couple of parts where there's something. One of my jigs is having an issue, but um, so I've got about a half a mil discrepancy in one of the joints, which just needs to pretty much sand it off. Um, but otherwise, you know, no one's ever going to sit them right next to each other. And in fact, if you do that, you can't really, there's nothing you can see, but I can see tiny little things, which, mm. but they're so close. It's, um, I think we, we ran the calipers over them and they're give or take kind of 0.75 of a mil. So, Oh, geez. Okay. So there's no, nothing, nothing pretty close. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What sort of joinery are you using? I, I'm, I'm going to go right into this into when I do the video for it, but I'm, I'm using the domino for everything. Right. 
and I've made, I've got three, I think there's four different domino sizes. Um, and one of them is standard. The other three I've made my own dominoes. Mm. Um, and the idea being that I can 100% use machinery to do every piece. So really all I have to do after the final glue up is run over it with like 400 grit to finish off. That's yeah. the plan. Um, cause I don't want to spend, it's the kind of thing that if I'm going to, cause I'm, ideally I'm, I'm looking at selling these or something, doing something with them now that I've got all the jigs. Yeah. Um, and I've been taking pretty close, um, how much time I'm, I'm taking on them all. And, and it's working out that they could be cheap enough that I can sell them wholesale if, yep. if there was an option for it. Um, so I'm just, yeah, really playing with what they're actually worth at this point if, if I were to go down that track. So, yeah, that's interesting because I'm kind of considering a very similar thing, but okay, it's, it's you know, all these things on the back burner. Yeah. It's when I get well, around to it, though, yeah. Because I, I had the idea, I knew I was going to make these chairs. And then after last week, when you had mentioned kind of doing a, uh, making some kind of uh, something like you could sell like that. Um, I thought, well, I'm going to have to make the jigs. I'm going to have them. Yeah. Um, I might as well see if there's any interest in, in the design. So see how it plays out. Yeah. Are you thinking of selling the plans for it as well? Like the I plans am. for the jigs? No. The plans for the jigs is a completely different thing. I'm not into that. The way I make jigs is slap a piece of wood down and, and make it work for me in that. Right, okay. And then write on it what this jig is for. I don't plan out my jigs at all. Um, mm. I just got a scrap bit of plywood. Like, this is a good enough base size. I'll make my piece fit on it. It can hang over on one end. It doesn't bother because I'm only working on the other end. You know, it's like, it's just got to hold my piece every time. That's all. It doesn't have to look pretty at all. Um, so I'm thinking of selling the plans, but uh, I'm still not sure how what I want to do with that. <laughs> mm. A bit complicated. Suddenly give the design out, takes the value away from me a bit. So, yeah. I'm well, I mean, plans, plans do quite well from what I've heard. I know. Um, and I think so that is worth, yeah. Is it worth that value? I maintain value in holding the product and selling it myself locally where there's a handful of stores who might be interested or would I make some money, a decent amount of money by selling the plans internationally. One you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want to do it necessarily like a commercial sale though, would you? You'd want to keep it for hobbyists if it's your, ideally the plans. Yeah. So that was my other thought. Do I sell the plans to hobbyists who might want to make a set for their house? And that's what I was asking about the jigs. Or, or do I sell the plans with a licensing fee? to someone who wants to commercially uh, mm. produce them, in which case it would be a one, one-off payment as a licensing fee. Um, and then they can make as many as they like and sell them. Yeah. Um, and it's whether or not there's any market there. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty big topic as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's me. Cool. Um. I, I have to pass this one because all I've been doing is working on my tan. I've been away on holiday and not done anything. 
Been enjoying a, a, a couple of glasses of wine, I take it? Yes, yeah, down at a few of the wineries. So it's been pretty glorious. Um, but, yeah, no, we're good. Well, that's good. I don't think anyone's going to complain that you have nothing no. to talk about if you've been on holiday. <laughs> talk about. I literally opened that door and came <laughs> to do this podcast. That's it. Um, well, I've been working on a dining table, um, which is – out of some reclaimed hardwood from this house. Uh, someone mentioned that it might be uh, spotted gum, which I've never worked with before, which is probably why I haven't been able to work out what it was. Probably the last time I do a reclaimed project for a very long time because I feel like I've spent about a week milling. That's all I've been doing. I still haven't actually built anything. I've just been milling the damn timber. So I might go back to buying some dimensional lumber on the next project. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I've been working on the dining table and then behind me is a new workbench that I've been putting together just because there's no real storage in the shop yet. I kind of got the shop ready to be worked in and then just started working on projects and so everything's still lying on the ground on the floors and stuff. So I want to try and deepen the shop up. So yeah, it's just a quick and easy two by four workbench on wheels. Beautiful. Yeah. Cool. All right. So this week we... I uh, had a topic from Jordan. When is good enough good enough? Um, so sort of when have you reached the point that you should be happy with something you've built? So, Jordan, I know you had a bit of a story around this. Do you want to just give us give us yeah. a rundown of that? Yeah, so it's going to be a bit freestyle because I haven't taken much down this week, but uh, the the inspiration for this topic came from a recent visit to a gallery which I used to look up to a lot uh, in the southwest region. I won't name names because it sounds like it's shaming. Um, but one that I used to look up to quite a lot and when I kind of got there after a few years of actually doing this full time, I was quite surprised at what this guy is selling for you know, dining tables starting at eight and a half grand and they go all the way up to 20 grand. Um, and what was kind of considered okay in the less than visible areas. So uh, the, the biggest shock for me was the way t the tabletops were getting attached onto his bases. Usually they're a trestle style base on all of them. The, the sight lines or the, not sight lines, sorry, the, the gaps in the joinery were big enough to stick my pinky into what? Yeah, like ridiculously large gaps, and I it Where, wasn't just where's one. Where's the gap? So between the the stretcher of the base and the bottom of the tabletop. Oh wow! So it's hidden by all means, but still, to me, I would never let that kind of. But then where was it? Where shop. was it joined? Because if you've got that gap, I mean, how yeah. maybe how was he joining it? It's a better question. So, I mean, the way that I join most of my tables is the same way he does. So that L-shaped cleat, which goes into a slot on the actual base, so it allows it to move around a bit. But, you know, it wasn't isolated to one table. It was every single one I looked at. Did you, this. Did you happen to check if the tops were flat, if they just moved up? I didn't want to, uh, you know, take out a straight edge or anything, obviously, in any showroom, but... <laughs> Sliding across it, they looked fairly flat. I mean, they didn't look dead flat, but flat enough was definitely uh, on the top. But So it's got me thinking that maybe what he's doing to maintain heaps of thickness 
is he's only flattening one side and then leaving the bottom side just sanded um, because most of these tables were slabs. Right. But it still it, it sparked this question in my mind that mm-hmm. if, if this guy is selling these tables for eight and a half, ten grand easily um, to a lot of people, am I putting too much effort into <laughs> my finishing touches of my tables when I'm only selling them for about three grand? Because um, uh... the, the other things, like there was a few other things which kind of got to me, uh, which was there on the glue lines around joints, it wasn't very well cleaned up. So you could actually see the glue in the finish and it wasn't quite oh, even. Geez. And I, like this is, this was a shock for me because I used to go to this gallery and just awe at how nice it was. Mm. Um, and now it's kind of like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm too hard on myself. Do you happen to think that your uh, their quality has changed since you were there last? Well, or you weren't picking up those details. I don't think I was picking up the details so much. I don't think they are quite as good as they were. But I went to quite a few um, of the wineries which have his work in it from five years ago, and I had a quick sticky beak around there, and it had the similar problems. Like the underside had the mm. same gaps and. Um, and the glue lines where the stretches came into the actual legs and stuff weren't incredibly cleaned up. Um, mm-hmm. so because just from a, I guess from a quick technical point of view, um, making, a, well, from my experience, making a slab, like if you've got a, one, a single slab top table, it, they're pretty straightforward. I mean, you just essentially four legs and some stretches and you yeah. throw up your cake of wood on the top. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I, I get that if you if it's something where you're wanting to maintain thickness, that you mm. may not want to flatten the bottom. But in that case, what I do, because I have done it once before, is I recess out uh, with a router sled the area where the base is mounted, so it's still a solid mounting point for the base onto the top, and gives it plenty of support. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know, like when is good enough, good enough? Because personally mm. in my workshop, if a table leaves here with even a slight gap in any joint, I'm not happy with it. I will, I'll redo that part or I'll, re, I'll keep fine-tuning fine that joint until it's sitting just right. What um, happens then? Because this is something I was probably going to bring up. So what happens when you don't see something like that? for whatever reason. And it's not until, say, for me it's happened, I actually am carrying it out of my workshop to go into the van for delivery and it comes into natural light and you go, oh, my God, I've just seen this huge, you know, or this something blaringly obvious that I should have seen but I didn't see it because of the lighting in my workshop. Um, so um, what, what do you do at that point? Where so it's that's, just, happened you to, you. that's happened to me once only once where I've found something just before delivery and I actually rang them and said, um, I've just noticed on your top that there's actually a bit of a smudge, cloudy bit in the finish. Um, mm. You know, obviously we want to have it perfect for you, so would you mind if it's another day or two for me to fix this for you? Um, and they were completely fine with it. So mm. like that one yeah. occasion so, was yeah. was fine. Honesty but, thing as well. Yeah. Um, but I haven't really, 
I guess mm. I may be a little bit too anal for stuff to for at least really big things like that to come up. But what I thought you were going to ask Joey is what's happened on the occasion when it slipped past everyone and the the customer, the client has said, "Hang on a second, or is, is that never happened before? Uh, it's not happened with me. Um, yeah, it's happened for me. Where it wasn't necessarily a slip. This one, oh god, this guy. He made I made him a table, ordered, and he loved it. He sat down and put his hands on the back edge of the um, of the stretcher rail under the tabletop, and I hadn't paid that much attention to that part. It was sanded, but it wasn't as nice as the top. He complained that that back edge was too sharp because he always sits with his hands on that rail. That's how he <laughs> likes to sit at a table and it should feel really nice. And I'm like, okay, but um, shouldn't you have told me that when I was making, like I could have put handles there if you wanted. Like, <laughs> um, and so actually, God, I can't remember what happened uh, because it was finished and I was, I think I did go back and do it on site, just sanded it. Um, but it was just like, that's a thing where the client should have told me about it, but I had to fix it. Anyway, I had to make an extra trip. You know, it's just yeah. annoying. That, that was going to be one of um, the points that I wanted to talk about is when you guys suss out, you know, presumably a new client, can you tell the type of clients or the type of person that they're going to be so that you can gauge where good enough is, you know, you can sort of tell that that guy is going to be on the far end of good enough and that guy's going to be on the other end or, yeah. or do, you, do you just work to your standard and, and that is the standard? For me, my standard is the standard. But I mean, obviously when I, I get a customer in, I can kind of gauge them and I can, I can feel how pedantic they're going to be about certain things. But often it surprises me like, uh, not that long ago, I had an engineer come to me for a, a few things and I kind of, you know, he showed me some, some drawings of what he was thinking and to me it was kind of ugly. So I just said, look, I can do this, no worries, but maybe if you want, I can sketch up a few other things and show you some alternatives, just which I think could look a little bit better. Um, and I did that for him. He loved it, but the entire build, I was like, this has to be pristine because he's <laughs> going to be really tight on me and then when I finally got around to delivering it he was the most relaxed and excited and he loved everything he just you know couldn't have picked a single thing on it that he didn't like apparently um maybe it was making me feel better but you know <laughs> but yeah like they do surprise you in other cases where I think they're pretty relaxed I've sent it out and they've been kind of not I wouldn't say difficult because I had something in their mind and it wasn't exactly what they wanted. So the clarity wasn't there. Yeah. Um, but I've never left anyone feeling like they've been ripped off. I always fix it or, you know, repair repair what yeah. they don't like or whatever. Yeah, and that's something I was going to touch on, which is kind of a different subject. But, yeah, I'll, I, I will and have fixed up things that people aren't happy with. Um, but... I always think I'm a good, uh, I have, I think I can tell, um, what clients are going to be like, 
but most of the time i it's i'm completely wrong <laughs> like yeah. i like for example see now here's one that you just can't you, you have no control of delivered the this big built-in uh, bookcase the lady was so happy with it she's loading the books into it before, like as i'm leaving <laughs> she's already got it taking pictures of it yeah this is the greatest greatest thing we've ever had by the time i got home i had a big long email telling me how much she hated it and i had to come and take it out wow. so face value nice yeah. so that was interesting what sorry what was your reason uh, there was a small detail. It was a it was a internal uh, in a corner internal corner uh, bookcase, and there was a detail in the corner where the the shelves met. That for complicated reasons had to be like it was, and it was not quite how I had drawn it, but it was something that I hadn't thought of, hadn't thought of in the drawing stage, um, and it really was not. A big deal but she noticed it so that was number one problem and number two um she decided she wanted a different color uh, which is fine i was like well you're gonna have to pay for me to do an extra color um but it meant taking the whole thing back to the workshop to paint it and then also to fix up this little detail which meant actually rebuilding the whole thing but um yes so, so nothing was, technically wrong just more of an it was just yeah, it was like, okay, slightly different in the drawing. Like, I'm talking about 12 millimeters different. Um, but the the whole aesthetic, she just she just did not want it in the house. I couldn't believe it after she told me she loved it. So, um, yeah, that's pretty that was rough. Not, yeah, and so you can't tell what actually the reaction is going to be. Mm. And I'm actually always nervous when I drop a piece off or when the client sees it for the first time. I'm I'm sweating, holding my breath. Yep. This is like, I want to get paid. I want to eat my dinner. And uh, if you don't like it, that means I'm not getting paid. So Yeah. So, <laughs> I get, so basically, that's that's the show. Thanks, everyone. When is good enough? Good enough? No one knows. There's just <laughs> zero answer to this question. I think I think Martin's answer was uh, you just need to be happy with the quality of your, your own work. And it, mm. uh, where is it? I've lost it. But he, it was a good yeah. point by Martin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, you um, need to be happy with the quality of your own work and it has to be up to your own standards, but you have to also charge accordingly for your work. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, on that on that delivery uh, note, I get the same thing, like clammy as anything up until nervous. And I've considered so many times of adding like a delivery fee and just getting proper removalists to come and do yeah. it. Just so I don't again, have to encounter it. But then if something isn't quite up to scratch, I'd rather you, be there. You want to be there to explain something if there is yeah. something. Um, because otherwise you feel like you're just kind of letting them deal with the problem yeah, not like that you know there's a problem which is the hard thing so it's saying that once you finish building it, it that's it like you know there's no more customer service which is not not something that's great but anyway on to up, up till now we've sort of been talking about when is it good enough for the customer i guess we should mm -hmm. also be talking about when is it good enough for us yeah um it's a, i sort of I, I broke this down into two areas you've sort of got your design and your actual the, the build the quality of the build so mm -hmm. those are two separate things so from a d design perspective it i guess it's a bit of a it's a bit more fluid like you there is no answer to this um i've i've 
I'm working on this dining table and I came up with an idea for how I wanted to, to attach the rails to the legs. And my mind sort of just started wandering on all these ideas that I could do. And I eventually had to stop myself and say, that's all good and well, but this is never going to get finished if I, you know, if, if I want to try all these weird and wonderful things. But at the same time, I also don't want to bring it back to just being a standard mortise and tenon because I've done it before. I want to push myself. Mm. So for me, that's like a real tricky one is when is good enough, good enough that I'm going to be able to build this table, sit back and go, I've progressed as a woodworker. I've, I've gone forward and not just done the same thing over and over again. For me, that's, that's a super tricky one to, to work yeah. with. Yeah. Another, like on that point is when is good enough, if you're designing stages, when is like your plan or your sketch good enough to actually take that to, from sketch to just start making? Because for me personally, I will never have a 3D model done with all the joinery and mm. every little detail ironed out. I'll just have it there for proportions, know how big mm. the top is, how tall it's going to be, and then, you know, take that and start making it. But, you know that's good enough for me, but it might not be good enough for someone that is newer to the craft and really yeah. wants it all laid out to them exactly how it has to be. Yeah, I guess that comes down to how you process the job. It, uh, like, I guess probably we're about the same where all those details are in our heads. We just need, like, generally, when I go into the workshop to start a project, I literally just have a piece of paper with a, just a box with, like, height and length on it. Like yes, that's, that's the two numbers I have and everything else I know how it's going to work because once you join the first two pieces together, it's relative to that. The drawings are gone um, unless you're fitting in like a kitchen, which has to be fairly tight. But um, So um, what was I going to say? <laughs> mm, I've lost it. <laughs> The other, the other half of that is obviously the craftsmanship side of it. So that's, mm. you know, I guess, which is, is a little more, it's a little more practical. It either, it either looks good or it doesn't look good. Obviously that's super personal. So it may work for you. It may not. Um, but to me, that's a much, that's a much more, I, w- I want to say difficult one to, 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 to really dig into because, a lot of times I've finished a, a piece of furniture and it's not good enough, but it's because I've got to a point where I'm like, I need to, I need, I need to get this done. I can't just live on this. I could mm-hmm. pull the entire thing apart and start again, but mm-hmm. do I, do I want to make my, <laughs> do I want to punish myself like that? Um, so yeah, from a, from a skill perspective, I reckon if I was to sum it up, you know, as concisely as possible for me, as long as, as long as, this join is better than, or my, my latest join is better than my previous join for, you know, in any regard, then I'm okay. Then I'm happy. Mm. But then at the same time, there have been times when I've said, you know what, like, I'm just going to have to, I'm going to have to be miserable and just deal with this. Because, yeah. <laughs> take, it, take it as a learning experience and yeah. call it that. Yeah. So um, you were just talking about design before. Um, so generally, generally I'm, I won't really start making something until the design is right, especially if it's for me. Um, like those chairs I'm working on, I've spent probably three months drawing and just thinking about how, what they're going to look like. So for me, I'm super now at the point where I like the design. But 
so a while ago I had a client who wanted this kind of, it was, I think going to be a TV cabinet, but it was so terrible. Like her ideas were just disgusting. The, the design was absolutely filthy. And, um, I did what I could to change her opinion, but it came down to this is what she wanted. And I made the drawings and it was you know, on top of that, it was difficult to make because it was curves everywhere and just, it's not cool. Um, so, so yeah. What do you do when, when you, you have, have you ever had to work on something that is just, awful looking but you're getting paid to do the job and you're professional so you're gonna power through but it's very difficult i found to keep my standards to a point because i hated everything i was doing and i was like oh this doesn't matter like this is just shit (laughs) yeah yeah. drop your standards to match those designs too well that's what i was going to mention as well yeah Yeah. like i've only really had it once where i felt ill by making something that I hated so much. <laughs> yeah. It was this absolutely hideous uh, entry table. But, you know, that's what they wanted and yeah. I just I was ashamed of it when I delivered it. Not that yeah. the joinery wasn't tight or properly done or anything like that. It's just I made something that looks that crap. Yeah. But when I delivered it they loved it. They couldn't have been happier. I could have but, you know, <laughs> I got so interesting to so interesting to hear you guys talk about that distinction, you know, from a from a client perspective. Because as someone who's not bringing in money from from clients, well, not very much at the moment, I can't imagine imagine ever looking at something and going, "Oh, that's ugly," even though I've created it really well. Because surely, if the joinery is good and it's to the design and the customer's happy, we're all good. But how how could you not like that? Well, it wasn't my design for one. Like they came to me with a photo and and uh, dimensions that they wanted it to for that for that particular example um so yeah it was just it was a job more than a but but your your job as a custom furniture maker is not necessarily to do design i mean obviously that's part of it but it's not necessarily so if they say make this you make this and if you make this to a good enough standard aren't you happy i guess it comes down to the the separation between designer and a, um, and the aesthetics versus yeah. the physical piece and yeah while it's perfectly um, built it just looks ugly and you're kind of like why i didn't really i don't you don't have the same pride yeah. in the piece because for example the piece i made i took one picture of it and no one has ever seen that because <laughs> it's terrible looking i'm never going to show anyone this thing but if something that I really do like, I'm going to show everyone. I'm going to put on Instagram. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, it's just having that kind of, it's a, I guess it's a little bit of a self-esteem boost that um, oh, look what I've managed to make this awesome thing. And if you just don't have any pride in it, uh, it's also very hard to be motivated to make that thing as well. Um, you just start dragging your feet a bit. Yeah. 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 It's the motivation yeah. thing more than anything. If you're not liking something, you're not going to be as motivated to do it. So, mm. well, I've still, I'm still yet to to, <laughs> to be stuck in that situation. Um, but yeah, from a from a when is it okay for stuff to not be good enough? I think the only time I can think of that you would really be allowed to forego quality would be in 
from a time perspective, like I'm guessing there must be situations where your customers have said to you, this has got to be done tomorrow. And you're like, well, it, it's going to be a bit average. And, and they say, well, that's fine. And off you go. Or, or do you guys say, no, nope, it's got, it's got to be to my standard. We're, we're not uh, rushing this. That's an interesting point. Um, mm. I actually written down here. So when people ask me to do a quick sloppy job, like just make me a plywood box, I'll come in tomorrow and pick it up. Nine times out of 10, I will put way too much time into it and make it super duper awesome plywood box. And the customer's like, what have you done? You know, do you want more money for it? I'm just saying, no, take it away. It's just an awesome thing. Because it's, it's really simple for me to do well. But then if someone wants a super high-end immaculate piece, the whole time I'm working on it, I'm double you know, second-guessing myself and stressing out about every detail and nothing's quite good enough because you know what you know what the standard's meant to be. And every time you push a saw through the piece, uh, push a saw through the wood, you're like, was that a mistake? And, yeah. you know, it's a, and, and if you've worked on a piece for, you know, three weeks straight, um, you don't want to even go near it. Like if you put a ding or dent in it, like you're, you're, you know, it's not good. So that's an interesting um, kind of juxtaposition of, of, you know, how I work anyway. <laughs> have you, have you turned down any jobs because you felt like you wouldn't be able to, make that up to your standard so it was just too complex just too technical uh you go jordan for me i've not turned down anything that i thought was too complex but i have turned down stuff which i think is too simple or is not worth my time uh for example is they wanted just mdf tables when they sent this sketch which was just a tape a full sheet of mdf at the top no treatment, a couple of legs, which were just like a T-shaped base, no treatment, and a few boxes of the same design for the, the bases. And I had no idea what it was for. <laughs> um, but on when they contract me, they said, we need it as cheap as possible, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and it's as soon as they start doing that, it's just, no, nah, I'm not. As soon as they say, how cheap can we do this? You're just like, no. And I, I have this, like, I have this, like, because I come from, a, from two worlds. I come from, this event or theater world where it is, we need this quickly and our budget is really tight. So I can understand that. But when you come to a bespoke furniture maker for something like that, I think it's a little bit cheeky. Mm. So, so I, I've, sorry, go on. No, I'm done. I, so I have turned down a job because it was too complicated, but it was complicated because the act, so this was an architect's home and he was wanting to fit out the big lounge room with um, very ornate um, Victorian moldings everywhere, like massive. These weren't just your standard colonial moldings. These were huge, multi-piece, complicated um, installments and they were going to be made up of multiple pieces because they were so massive. And this guy had such technical drawings down to half a millimeter. He'd measured his house. He'd measured how out of square his house was. And he had given me all these drawings and then said, right, it all has to be lacquer sprayed. And then I don't want any gap filler anywhere. It's just, if you follow my drawings, it will go together perfectly and that'll be fine. And I'm like, okay, you're talking about putting 
like 600 mil wide crown moldings around your ceiling been pre-finished and you don't want any gap filling you, th- you think it's going to go together perfectly being pre-cut following your plans no this is not going to happen no not happen. as long as there's a human involved yeah that would no. be a computer and so that was just a this cannot work sorry um and and i had started pricing it and then he started telling me about all these requirements and the price just kept going up and then he's like no you're, this is ridiculous you can't charge me this i'm like okay see you later yeah i'm done <laughs> yeah so when it comes down to that sort of millimeter perfection are you happy to you know you you start work on something and you're off by a millimeter it then compounds into the next thing and now you're off by five millimeters is that still considered good enough consi- considering your everything is so tight and working well or at that point have you now missed the mark well there's a fa- i guess so if you're talking about say installs into a house like cabinetry into a house you always have a built-in scribing allowance usually it's for me it's 20 mil on each side um so i while that's not ideal i can lose all of that in my scribers and it's going to be fine um but if you're talking about that in a piece of furniture um that's obviously no go but in the same breath i think it's worth mentioning that if you build a tiny little jewelry box there can be absolutely nothing wrong with it. It has to be perfect. And if you make a built-in wardrobe that's five meters long and three meters tall, you can get away with a lot Mm. because um, for some reason, the fussiness of anyone, even us, goes down the bigger the project goes, the more allowance tolerances um, are acceptable. Um, And I'm not sure why that is, but it's like, pretty universal the bigger the thing is the worse it can be in, in a bad way to say it <laughs> that's interesting it's it's really true now that i think about it mm. um from the couple of renovations that i've done around the home um and i say renovations in the sense that they are big projects you know you're tiling a floor you're putting in a in a two meter long bench top you're sort of right like you the 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 room for error just seems to to grow. Yeah. Um, I've never really thought about it like that, but yeah, that's really true. You can, and I think also the bigger it is, the more chance you have, well, maybe not the bigger it is, but this, you also introduce more options or opportunities to To fix things, to fix and rein in those mistakes a little bit as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. Um, All right. I'm just going through my notes. Uh, Do you guys have anything else that you want to add to this? Um, I, I have one um, other thing written down, which was I did this job probably you know, it must be two years ago now. Um, and I, at the time, this was I was so happy with this job. Um, it was st- and actually still am. I think it was it turned out really well, and it kind of just harks back to what I was just talking about. So this was a giant install of uh, one, two, three, four, five, six bunks 
they had uh, queen beds below and uh, king singles above. This is all. There was a set of stairs with drawers and the stairs. There was built-in TV, built-in wardrobes, um, and it was all spray lacquer finished, taken down into a whole lot of component components. I had to pack it up, rent a giant van, get it into an island off in Auckland Harbour, um, install it, and it came out perfectly. It fitted the space perfectly. There was like a millimeter gap at the end of it, and bit of uh, actually no more gap that up and the thing was perfect um i took all these photos of it loved it the clients hated it because apparently it was the wrong color um <laughs> and i think maybe we talked about this before but um i actually had them sign the the color sample i'd given them three options they picked uh, this particular lady picked the sample and from then and after that point it became a massive issue where they were actually blaming me for using the wrong paint they wanted to know the formulation like technically Jeez. the formulation of the paint they they wanted to know who the actual person was who mixed the paint and then um and then they pretty much said lawyers were getting involved and I was talking to my lawyer because this was uh, $12,000 of, of work. Um, and so this dragged on, became a nightmare. I lost 1800 bucks, 1500 bucks for my uh, final payment. Um, and it, it just became an, an absolute nightmare. Um, and, and it all came down to the client not understanding that light does different things on different sheen levels. And so the color on the wall was matte, the color on the bunk, so semi-gloss, it's gonna look different. Um, and so my standard, I was right at my standard. This was thing was perfect. Uh, so for me, I was super happy, but client really not happy. And it's, and I don't suppose you saved the, the swatch because that would have made laugh. Have it, they wouldn't send it back. Yeah, because if you literally just took the swatch and stuck it on the thing and said, there we that's, go. That's what yeah. we did. But then they wouldn't give it back to me. So, Jeez, that's I love it. That's, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. They actually eventually said, okay, because I was dealing with third party at this point. They said, okay, the client chose the wrong paint. We admit that now. Admitted fault. Yeah, after trying to blame me. Um, anyway, we need to get it repainted. Can you come and do it next week at your cost? <laughs> that was literally what they said. And like, dude, this You're is on your like, own. Yeah, I said, I'm just walking away at this point. <laughs> um, Jordan, was there anything else that you wanted to add? Oh, I think that's... About That's summed it. it up for me, what, yeah. What I might do is um, if there's any questions that anyone wants to ask, um, start sending them through now because we'll we'll get to them in a second. I see we've got one already. Um, but um, one other thing that I wanted to touch on before we go is uh, I guess good enough depends on your expectation as well. So recently I made a handle for one of my tools. I think it was a paint, paint scraper. It was a little tool that I tried to, an experiment on failed miserably didn't matter because it was a tool 
it wasn't a you know a piece of furniture but then a nice table that i make there the expectation is that it has to be it has to be of a certain quality is it then should you always be going for that level on everything that you do so in terms of um you know that paint scraper should that have been a, a pristine thing <laughs> or should you should you really be measuring your expectations so it's okay to just be a bit slack sometimes or is is that just the wrong attitude in our in our game you should always be top of your game that's i think circumstantial uh expectations are good so you know if it's going to be something that's going to get beat up and just thrown around the shop like a tool handle you know it doesn't need to be a work of art um but yeah i don't joey Oh, <laughs> okay, so my well, when I make when I make jigs, I was just saying before the show, my jigs are terrible. They don't look fancy at all, but they make fancy things. Yeah. So. Um, oh, that's a really cool way to look at it. I like that. As long as my jig does the thing it's meant to, it, and jigs are never going to look pretty. They have got to do all sorts of weird things. So yes, I could design it, but then I spent all day designing one jig, and I need to make fourteen different ones. So mm. instead, I made 14 in a day and a half. So um, they're just bits of plywood with bits of plywood screwed to them. No one's ever going to see it. But I'm the chair yeah. is everyone's going to see it. So that's a different, um, different thing. Um, I thought possibly in the same vein here, this is a note I made, was that when I was thinking about good enough, so good enough to me, first thing I thought was top quality. It's good enough for you. It must be premium quality. And something to think about is generally top quality work is very wasteful. Um, and if you think about it in terms of selecting timber, um, you want premium piece, pieces of timber for your tabletop. So you might somehow have come across some like uh, fiddle bag blackwood or something and you're going to make a tabletop out of it. Just being By being that selective, and ignoring, say, other parts of that tree or um, ignoring other pieces in a bundle, you're, you're encouraging waste and wastefulness. And so that is, um, so is it better to have slightly less quality um, standards and have less, and it's a whole, it's a different discussion, but it's something to mm. think about. Uh, yeah, because then you're sort of moving the goalposts as well. And I, I guess that's why we now live in a world where, Rustic is rustic <laughs> is a thing because, yeah, you know, yeah. the the junk wood is now being pushed as well. I mean, I I say that sounding like a bit of an a bit of a jackass. I, you know, I respect that some people do like that style, yeah. but I think that might be where it started. Is yeah, someone's not going to pay for a piece of wood that's two hundred dollars a meter, um, just that they can get the best piece of wood. Yeah, I mean that that whole thing has made me consider doing a quick and easy line of furniture too like you know mm -hmm. i could batch out a dining table in a day no worries i could do quite a few in a day of specific designs and you know if it's not finished to the same level that i'm usually doing and the joinery it's just lag screws and everything held together with bolts and all that sort of crap which people <laughs> tend to like yeah you know, i could make a table for 400 bucks yeah but do i want to yeah yeah, I see uh, Fatso's workshop. We used to, he's just said, we used to s 
to avoid working for doctors, lawyers, and architects, their expectations often exceed reality. That, that's really interesting. I would expect that particularly from, from architects. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, well, let's get to some questions. I have a question for you guys. Darren, we'll get to yours in a second. Um, but I just want to ask you guys this. I've got my lunchbox planner there behind me. And I'm starting to find this on one end of the planner. When I take, when I put the, the boards in, um, it sort of it, it sort of chews them up like crazy. Like you put them in, and it, we're taking like five, ten mil off in of snipe going in. Then the board gets in, and off it goes, and it's fine. On the other side, though, of the head, on the other side of the planner, goes through smooth. What do we? Yeah, well, it's fine. This, this is just one yeah. side to the other of the head, right? So left side well, of the chain. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on either side of the head. So the left side of the head versus the right side of the head. So when I'm putting it in, when I'm feeding it in, on the left-hand side, it, it like it, it sounds like it's just chewing up the that wood. sounds like a worn bearing or something to have the cutter head going. Does it run? Does it sound smooth when it runs? Once the board gets into it and the runners pick it up and start moving it, then it's fine. So, yeah, the whole head could be wobbling up and down. The other thing could be if you've got a bit of melamine, fairly thick, like, you know, 18 mil minimum, and put that over the entire table, just take the table rigidity question out of it. I was just going to say, yeah, I've had a, when I had one of those planers, um, the, the, the base of it, the bottom table bench, um, was really crappily made and it had like three mil of flex in it mm. um, and so that could be mm. causing uh, one side so you're maybe making a, um, a little sled to go inside it yeah um, that's interesting because I've tried to I've tried to set the tables as good as I can but they're just mm. these little washers yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's a thin piece of tin it's always going to flex so I've sort of got into the habit of when I when I because I'm working with you know 1800 mil boards now I sort of bring the board in at a top-down angle. So, you know, you obviously don't come in this direction because then you're just going to jam it straight, straight into in. Yeah. So you come from a top-down. But, yeah, I wasn't sure if, like, because even doing that sometimes, yeah, it just, it just mangles the, the first. Mm. Yeah. Kathy's just said the, maybe the in-feed roller spring on one side is oh, yeah. down. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it is, it is a cheap unit. It's uh, it's one of those Hafcos. Um, I, I would have thought if the head was loose or the bearing was gone, you would know all the sound real yeah. quick. Like this thing's going to be jumping all over the place because, uh, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse real quick. So Yeah, that, that spring is actually, that uh, coffee suggestion is a good one. I had something on my Beast, my 600 mil planer, and that's because the... This thing's vintage, but the, the nut had vibrated loose. So there was no spring tension on one side, but there was on the other. And I was getting really weird cuts. It wasn't necessarily snipe, but it could be vibrated. All right. I, I see uh, Dan has just jumped on. I have the same plane. I had the similar problem. My problem was some dust caught in the infeed roller. All right, I'll have a look at that. Maybe that's it as well. Um, I must say, like, I, I'm not expecting the world from this. I've tried, you know, I've, I've yeah. tried making some adjustments, but at the same time, like, this is a this is a basic thing that you would expect it to get right. So, yeah, yeah, I'll give that a go. Um, all right, so uh, we had a question from Darren. 
any advice for an 18 year old building apprentice? So before we get to the question, I just want to, I want to, <laughs> I want to tell a quick story. My, in my old house in Adelaide, I used to live next door to a carpenter, carpenter builder. And I mentioned, I said to him once, I'm thinking of going back to trade school. I want to look into becoming a carpenter. You know, any, any advice would you, would you recommend it? And he said to me, the problem is at my age, going into a trade like that, and Joey, maybe you can chime in on this because I think you, you might have experience with this. At my age, I'm going to be going into a field where there's going to be a, a, a foreman who's probably younger than me. Mm. And the amount of abuse that I'm going to have to deal with on a daily basis, this, this uh, neighbor of mine basically said, it's one of those fields where you really want to start, Darren, at 18 and work your way up. You don't want to be a, a grown man being treated like a child going into it. Yeah, that's certainly a point of view. Um, that I think I would agree with that. Um, so my answer is going to be probably a little deeper than just giving you a straight advice. Um Presumably, you don't. You're if you're. Is he an apprentice or just starting? Starting out? Did he say? I didn't say. He's, I'm just he's an apprentice. apprentice. Okay. Yeah. So you've got some taste of what the work is. Um, nothing's really going to change now. Okay. You might end up being in charge of yourself. Um, so are you really happy doing it? Um, is it awesome every day? Then that's fine. Carry on. And like um, Robin just said about climbing the ladder, um, do you want to climb the ladder? And if so, what's at the top? And if it's being a foreman, you might as well not be an apprentice and just go to uni and get the qualifications to jump to the top. Uh, most foremans and um, kind of site managers and stuff barely been on the tools these days. Right. I would have just assumed that was a prerequisite. Not really. Like, especially even if you think about, say, building inspectors these days, just about none of them have been on the tools. They just come from uni with a degree in architecture or something or other, blah, blah. And then now they know how to inspect builders who have been building for 40 years. You know, yeah. it's, um, Jeez. and that is ten massive tensions. And it will probably take 30 years for the old boys to move out and, and that whole scheme to become norm, the norm. But, um, at the moment, um, yeah, for me, I would say, do I just want to carry on um, putting essentially kit sets together? These days, building is not much more than just part A goes into part B, um, and you don't have much creative choice because you have to follow the plans so um, strictly. So while the job needs to be done, it doesn't allow for a lot of creative um, output. So that's where I'd be in my head thinking, do I just want to stay swinging a hammer or am I going to do something else? Sure. That's a, that was a serious answer. <laughs> <laughs> now go over, go home and, and mull over your life decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John, you, you're not, you don't have any trade background, do you? No, well, not really. I mean, I'm theatre sets, so it's very specialised and the family 
that is my team is a very close knit one and very supportive. So I I never had that conventional, you know, the apprentice goes to get the uh, left hand screwdriver and mm. all that sort of stuff. I never experienced anything like that. Um, possibly because I was a little bit older when I went there. I had already been to uni for my design technologies and all of that, that I was quite handy on the tools already. Um, so people didn't quite give myself, uh, people didn't give me the same amount of crap for, you know, a 17-year-old straight out of school necessarily. But no, I never experienced anything. So I can't, I can't say anything other than it's okay to change your mind and Mm -hmm. drop out of stuff because if you're not enjoying something it's a good sign that you're not going to enjoy it for 35 years of your working career um i've been to every uni there is in this state and i've dropped out of all the courses except one so <laughs> yeah yeah i think you do have to just you've you got to roll with it for a bit like you've got to, you've got to take the good that well, the bad with the good i should say um so you've got to and except there's going to be days that are going to be a write-off um yeah. And yeah, maybe just don't don't um, don't be too afraid that you might not like it in mm. in a couple of years. Coming from a, yeah, a white collar family, I've put down all of that and said, you know what, I want to I want to be up on a roof building <laughs> building trusses. Yeah, yeah, you can't you, you can never know what you don't like until you try it. So yeah. you've got to give what you think you're going to like a go, and then be open minded about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Oh, uh, Ross, sorry, what, are you going to close it off? No, no, no. If, um, Ross had you, a question there um, from Clash Furniture. Cause you stress. Yes. Is that the one? Yep. I'll let, I'll let you guys answer, answer this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, most of the time. Always. Mostly it's with finish. Like yeah. mostly like the, the construction and the building, not so much anymore, but when it comes to finishing, like I'm not a polisher, I've yeah. just, you know, taken tips on from everyone that I can. Um, but yeah, it still stresses me out. If I see there's, it's drying at a different rate or whatever, it, it scares <laughs> yeah. me. I'm like, hang on, I've got to walk away for two hours and I'll come back and if it still looks bad, then I'll strip it. Yeah. Um, and that yeah, insane two hours, I'm just stressing out because I'm like, I'm just, uh, anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yes. I must say finishing is, it never used to be, but I think that's because my standards were a lot lower. Finishing now has become my the worst part of the project for me, which is frustrating because mm -hmm. it's just before it's done. Yeah, it's but difficult. yeah, like I have sleepless nights just <laughs> yeah. thinking about like, how am I going to do this? Am I going to do it right? And as you say, I think the worst thing is when you see the mistake and you've just got to step back and say, well, for the rest of the day, I'm going to hate myself, but there's nothing I can do until this dries and then I can work on it. Yeah. Yeah. Time, time is another big one. Like uh, Clash Furniture Maker said, he finds that time is uh, where a lot of his stress begins, and I'm the same. Especially if I got multiple things on the go, and uh, yeah. also lack of projects is another stress. Being a business owner, like if I haven't got a few things lined up, that stresses me out because where is yeah. the next paycheck coming from? Yeah, that one I tried to. I've really been trying to, and it has abated a bit in the last year. Like. I, I get stressed that there's no work lined up, but I, I have to rely on the fact that it has always come in. And so yeah. if, if I stress about it, it won't come in. But if I just take it easy, something's going to happen and I'll get something to come in. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a lot better at it because every time I've had no work, 
someone knocks on the door or sends yeah. me an email and it's just I don't know why it works it just does and I won't question it but it, it does stress me a bit more that now that I have an employee yeah definitely that does yeah tend to keep me awake a little bit <laughs> and I guess ultimately without sounding stupidly cliche worrying's not actually or stressing's not actually going to do anything no exactly so being stressed is, is a um, fruitless endeavor yeah Cool. All right, let's bring this to an end. Let's talk about what we've been or who we've been watching. So, Joey, you want to? Okay, mine is not a maker, although he did make me laugh, so that works. Uh, James Veach is a comedian, British guy. I think he's British. He does, um, I guess he got famous from doing uh, pieces where he replies back to spam emails. <clears throat> and has these crazy conversations with Nigerian princes and, and the like. <clears throat> and it's uh, yeah, super funny stuff. Um, go I, watch it. I had a look at the channel just before we, we went on here and I, and I was looking at it thinking, this is not the channel that I was expecting <laughs> to see. Um, but hey, he's doing pretty well and um, yeah. it looks pretty interesting. So yeah, after the show, I'll probably have a look. Yeah, look at his TED Talk um, pieces. They are genius. John, how about you? Uh, I'm not going to pronounce it very well. Uh, I think he's German. It's Marius Hornberger, or mm -hmm. something along those lines. Uh, I've been following him since he was like a really small channel, and now he's got yeah. like his ma massive growth, but a lot mm -hmm. of homemade machines, and he does a bit of furniture stuff here, there, boxes, and cutting boards, and wood turning, and all sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah, just cool German, very you know particular sort of style which i like so yeah he's he, awesome he hasn't released a video in a very long time has he uh he did one dovetail boxes not that long ago he did that uh, like, big scissor lift thing didn't he was and the him? scissor lift was the one before yeah. that yeah he did the scissor lift yeah do you know um, i haven't i'm subscribed to him but i haven't seen a video from him for about a month i maybe was more. I watched one on my phone when I was away last week. So I think one came out last week or it might have just been a suggested, uh, you know, how YouTube suggests. Mm. Well, there's another channel that I'm subscribed to and I have been subscribed to them forever. And every now and then I, I, I directly go to their homepage to check for new videos and I suddenly wasn't subscribed. And, you know, there was all that talk yeah. last year about all that stuff going on. I thought, oh, whatever, people are just making up junk about it. It, it legit happened to me. I went yeah. to a guy that, you know, channel that I've been subscribed to and I was unsubscribed. So that's why I'm just wondering if same thing with Myers. Yeah, because, yeah he's well, So you have that bell now that you have to click for notifications. And if you haven't done it to the Shop Store podcast YouTube page, click that bell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. So I have been watching a guy by the name of Scott Turner. Um, he's a local Townsville maker. He does a bit of woodworking, a bit of metalworking. I met him personally a couple of weeks ago, and he's actually coming around tomorrow night. We're looking to do a collaboration. So I've got a uh, mango slab that I want to turn into a coffee table. He's probably going to do the legs, you know, make a bit of a collaboration about it. He's just released a video, not his latest video, his video before that, where he's made a cart out of steel and wood. 
it's just it's amazing. It's one of those it's one of those shop projects because it's shop furniture where you look and you go, please take that out of the shop, put it in your house. It's far too good to be mm-hmm. to be shop furniture. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, Scott Scott Turner uh, would highly recommend him. Um, yeah, he's got some really cool stuff. I haven't I haven't seen him before. I have to check it out. He's fa- he, I think he's fairly. I don't want to say new, but he's he's been flying under the radar. He actually went to mm-hmm. New York a couple months ago. Met Tim Sway, uh, Jimmy oh. DeResta, oh, wow. sort of went on the trip and met all of those guys. So yeah, which was I was thinking about doing that. You know, once I was like, man, it seems like if you want to make it, you just go and see these guys. Yeah, like, just yeah. go for a trip, go to everyone, say hi, and then things will happen. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to America. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. I see. Scott's Scott's watching. Yeah. So it was it was fascinating to hear the stories about. Um, those guys. One of the one of the, the most interesting things that I thought, well, that I, that he was saying is that they are all just so normal. Like we see them as these YouTube celebrities. He says they're just the raddest dudes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Really I, cool. I find uh, I find that's ninety nine percent of the time. Mm. Cool. All yeah. right, everyone. Well, thanks for tuning in. Um, as I said, uh, well, as I said before, all the links to the channels that we've been watching will be in the description down below. So feel free to go and have a look. Um, Jordan, Joey, is there anything you guys want to mention before you finish up? Oh, no, maybe. Uh, no, I think I'm good. <laughs> what are you sure? Sounded <laughs> like there was some some gold there. No, no. <laughs> no I'm on cool. still got holiday brand, so I'm not thinking very clearly. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, thanks everyone for for tuning in. Um, I hope you all have a very good weekend and we'll see you same time next Thursday.